This morning's passage comes to us from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 19. This is a huge story in meaning and symbol and also length. So I ask for your patience and fortitude as you listen in or read on with this text. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram was today Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master, the king, and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, get this, over Israel. He was a valiant soldier. but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master, the king, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, about 75 pounds, 6,000 shekels of gold, about 50 pounds, do the math, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have, have, the, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger. Go. Wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus in Syria, better than all of these beautiful, pitiful waters of Israel. I could have washed in them and been cleansed. So he turned and went off in a rage. Now Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you, just wash and be cleansed. 
So he consented and went down. He went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God, Elisha. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So, please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, then please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but Yahweh, the Lord. And may the Lord forgive your servant this one thing, when my master enters the temple of Rimon, their god, to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow down with, them, with him also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace. Shalom, Elijah says. And so he does. Let us pray. O oh God, who is our fear, our, our source of awe and wonder and reverence, who uses the very most substance in the world for the, for the most grace, not only for those who think we are in, but for those we think who are out. In Christ's name, amen. It's simply a baptismal story. In fact, a case can be made that the whole Bible is a baptismal story from the beginning when God took the crazy to whom the watery chaos, this giant cosmic hurricane of, of storm, and ordered it into the beginning of creation using those same waters as the source of the life that would follow. And in the end of the Bible in Revelations, we are told that there will be a new kingdom to come, and in that new kingdom there will be no more sea. That is to say, the place where terrible storms can arise, as we are well, unfortunately, know. There will be no more sea, no more deep chaos, disorder, and death, but instead a still river running through the city the river of life symbolizing the waters of baptism that God holds out for all of us. I can't tell you how many Presbyterians come back from a trip to Israel. Usually one of two things they want to say. The first is usually it's the grandparents. Unbelievable trip. Went down to the Jordan River. I got a vial of Jordan River water, and then when our grandchildren are baptized, would you, would you please use that to baptize them? And I don't want to burst their bubble, but I say, sure, I'll be glad to, and I always pour a little of the, 
the river water, Jordan water in the, the font, and, and that's fine. Or they'll come back and say, you know, it was a great trip, but, but we went down into the Jordan and, and dipped into the waters and we came up and we were baptized in the Jordan and nothing in my life really has been as meaningful as that was. And I say, well, were you baptized before? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was baptized at 12 when I came up during the altar call or I was baptized when I was an infant or as an adult. And I try to say, you know, as kindly as I can, and I know I'm stepping on toes, that, you know, you can only be baptized once. Everything that follows is just a reenactment of the original baptism. And that it was meaningful to you is because you originally were baptized earlier. In fact, as Fred Beekner says on the back of your bulletins, every baptism is actually an infant baptism. An infant knows about as much about God's ways as does the Archbishop of Canterbury. In that sense, we are all infants, newborns, when it comes to this baptismal thing. It's not about the water or the place it's not about our understanding. It's not about the priest or the denomination. It is about one thing only, and that is the awesome, wondrous love of God through grace to wash us clean of all our conditions, real or imagined, that we think inflict us, stain us, sin, sure, in baptism, we are given a sign that we have been washed clean of all those conditions and we are no longer isolated and estranged from God, from each other, or even from ourselves. We are now members of the beloved community and nothing we have done or will do can take that away. One time in our lives, we've had that promise. And everything we do after that is built on that promise. This morning's story about Naaman may be the best baptism story of all, and like many Bible stories, Jewish Bible stories, it focuses on, actually Jewish and Christian, it focuses on the least person you would expect, the outsider. He's not a Jew, Naaman, he's not a circumcised son of Abraham, he's a Gentile, and he was the enemy. He's a five-star general in Aram's army. Battle after battle, he's won many of them against Israel. Hence, he has a slave girl that is his wife's servant. A valiant man, but he had leprosy. A condition that was a curse, a skin disease of some sort, maybe psoriasis or eczema or acne or some blemish not Hansen's disease, or he would not have still been the head of the army, but some skin disease, but he had this condition. How many healers and shamans and priests and physicians and, and, and snake oil sales, salesmen had Naaman called to his 
to his side to heal him of that condition, and yet he still could not get rid of it. So enter a second reversal. It's not the king who tells him how to fix it. It's the servant girl of his wife who says something to his wife that there's a priest, a prophet in Israel that can heal him, and his wife says it to her husband, Naaman. And like every good husband, he listened to his wife and took her advice. And went to the king saying, I think there's a, there's a prophet in Israel that can heal me and the king because the king is always about kingly power, always top down, right? So the king says, okay, so I'm going to write a letter so you'll take it to the Israel king and say that, that he, he can heal you, telling him that he will heal you and I'll send all of these golden and silver things and clothes uh, as a gift to the king to, to know that I'm paying him back. And the king gets the letter and of course he knows he can't heal anybody. And so he goes into a rage. Who am I, God, who can make life and death? He's just setting me up. When I fail at trying to heal Naaman, then he's just gonna attack us because he just needed a good reason. So the king's on a complete fit, tantrum. And in the meantime, Elijah catches wind of it and goes to Naaman and says to him, I can heal you or sends word that I can heal you. All of a sudden, from the bottom up, a servant's girl, from the bottom up, this prophet that's not even in the conversation with the kings shows up and when Naaman comes to Elijah's house to be healed with his huge entourage of soldiers and artillery and, and cattle and food and, I mean, the whole deal and all the, and all the gold, he shows up. But instead of opening the door to Naaman, Elijah look, kind of looks out the window and sees him coming and then says to his servant, go out and tell Naaman what he needs to do is go down to the Jordan River and get baptized. And Naaman's not used to that kind of treatment. When he shows up at somebody's house, he's used to being invited through the doorway. When you invite someone into your home and they pass the doorway, you have now made them, through the law of hospitality and welcoming of strangers, one of your own. But Naaman doesn't even get the open door. He gets a, a servant. And he's mad as hops. He rants, I thought that he would surely come out to see me, listen to the pronouns, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure my, me, of leprosy. Aren't the rivers in Damascus better than all the waters in it? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he he turns off in a rage, only again from the bottom up, surprise, it's his servants that go to Naaman and say, calm down, general, maybe there's some truth here. Why don't you just do it? He's not asking much, right? And so Naaman consents, and he goes down to the waters of the Jordan. And he lowers himself off his high horse and he goes down, and he goes down, and he goes down, the text says, three times into the waters.
It's not about the water. It just needs to be fairly clean. Before baptisms, not here, because we have a glass bowl, but before baptisms, in other churches, they would have a top on the baptismal font, usually with a cross on it, and you'd pull the baptismal font off and lay it aside, and then you would have the bowl and the waters for baptism. I've seen a a baptism, in fact, uh, where the preacher pulled the top off and the couple's up with their baby and, and looks in, I learn later, and sees algae in the, in the font. And in fact, there's a book, Algae in the Baptismal Font, by the way. And, and he picks up the bowl and he says, we will now process with the institutional ritual of washing the bowl and heads out the door. <laughs> and everybody's like, half the people knew better, but they're like, I guess that's, that's part of the baptismal ritual. <laughs> so then he comes back clean and washed and finishes. It just doesn't need to be dirty, but it's not about the water. Did you notice that Naaman thought his water was better than Israel's? Clear racism. Didn't matter. H2O is H2O. Hard, soft, purified, fortified with chlorine or fluoride. It's water. Naaman's faith was not a precondition for it either. This calls into question all of our understanding about adult baptisms that we are called to come to faith and when we commit ourselves to God in faith, then we will be baptized. In Naaman's case, He didn't have any faith. He's just trying to get well. He goes down into the waters. He lowers himself in all humility. He lowers himself into the waters seven times. And then when he is healed, he comes to faith as a response to baptism. Just like an infant. Margot doesn't really have faith, right? I mean, what does she know? But she will come to faith after she has been baptized. And so I think no matter what age or condition do we as we move from that font. Finally, being healed, he goes back to Elijah. And this time, instead of being the big old king on the horse with all the goodies, He calls Elijah his master and calls himself Elijah's servant, finding a whole new place of status. And Elijah this time comes out to meet him and invites him into his home. And he asks before leaving, he says, can I just get some earth, just enough earth that two mules can pull a wagon with it because Naaman knew, as do all Jewish people, that God and the land are inseparable. And all he wanted was some earth to stand on because he was going back to Aram, not Israel, and he needed that land to stand on, that dirt to stand on, because he also knew that he was going back to a country that did not worship Yahweh. That's when he asks, the favor, finally, of Elijah. When I go with my king 
to the temple of Rimon, and my king bows and takes my arm, and I have to bow with him. Will you please forgive me? It's not that I worship Rimon anymore. I just have to, I have to do what I'm called to do. And that confession is so real because don't we all live in two different worlds? Don't we all have to live in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth? Not, not, in, not out of the world, but in it. We, we are all living in, in, in all of the different places that demand our time and our money and our effort and our loyalty while at the same time we're called to give our loyalty to God. And, and knowing that, Elijah says, that's the old peace, by the way. Peace. In shalom, peace means this total sense of well-being, of, of everything is now in balance. And he sends them on his way. Right here in the middle of the Bible, written by Jewish people, is the story of a Gentile enemy who's being baptized in Israel, who comes to faith, held up as an example by Jesus Christ when he preaches his first sermon in Luke, saying, Elijah went to Naaman and healed him of his leprosy, and not to anyone else in the land of Israel. And all the good, righteous, religious people like us got all in arms about it because Jesus is saying that our enemy got baptized, but nobody else by Elisha. And there it is again, the great surprise. When I was... Uh, 40, let's see, I was 40. It was 1993, so that tells you how old I am. And um, I'm new to a church in Atlanta, Covenant Presbyterian. It was a great church. Uh, it had been a big church in Atlanta and had sort of become smaller and smaller. And it was my first senior pastor at Roll, and I didn't know what I was doing. I don't still, by the way, but... Um, and. And um, I, I was in my study, and I get a knock on the door, and I go to it, and, and there's a man standing there, and he said, uh, Pastor, uh, my name is Tom. Do you have a minute? Come in, Tom. Sit down. What's going on? He goes, I'm here to find out if, um, if you will let me be a part of this church. I said, absolutely. What, what's going on? He goes, well, um, I was very successful. I was an analyst for grocery store chains. I made a whole lot of money. I live in the Peachtree Towers condominium on the 37th floor, which is one floor below Elton John's floor, by the way, to put it in perspective. And uh, I was very successful. And then um, I, had, I had a family and a wife and two kids, but I couldn't, I couldn't live the lie anymore. He says, and I came out at 40 years old, and um, I, I ended up getting divorced, of course, and I was, I was just way too promiscuous. I was, I was just, I had no boundaries, and, and I came down with AIDS. Remember, in 92 and 3, that there weren't, there weren't any cures. And I just wanted to know if, if you could forgive me for that 
promiscuity, not for, not for my gayness, but for my promiscuity. And if this church would forgive me too, would this church, would this church, I don't know that I've been baptized. Would this church be willing to baptize me? And, and my partner's been baptized and would we be welcome into this, into this congregation? And I said, well, I will welcome you. There's another story that goes to this I won't share, by the way. I will welcome you, as, but I can't speak for the congregation, but I, I really don't think I would be here if I didn't think this congregation would welcome you too. Uh, but let's play it out and see how it goes. And so when he came up for his baptism, we're up there and, and I baptism, baptized him just like I did Margo, and I asked the congregation to stand and support, and every single member of that congregation stood up and they knew the story. And they welcomed him in to the community. And near his death, which was around um, Holy Week, uh, about two weeks before then, he called me up to his condo and asked two things of me. He said, would you anoint me for my death, which I did, and would you sit on the edge of my bed and let me tell you what I've discovered through all of this pain and suffering? By then he had lesions, you know, AIDS leads, it's just, it's a terrible disease. And he said, um, all, I've studied the Bible, I've written down every healing story, I've done, no, 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 I finally come down to see that it's just, it's this simple and complicated, it's just about love. It's just about love. That God loves us no matter what so deeply and forgives us and that we're called to love each other and forgive, forgive each other in the same way. That's, that's the, those are the last words he said to me when, before he died a week later on Maundy Thursday. On Good Friday, getting ready for the service, I turned to the, one of the texts for the lectionary, which was, which was Isaiah 53 that goes, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And I didn't know it at the time, but when I sat on his bed after reading this, I remembered that moment and looked back and thought, there is the body of Christ if I've ever seen it in this man named Tom who was so wounded and ill and broken. When Jesus died at the cross in the Gospel of John story, in order to make sure that he was dead, a soldier took a spear and put it in his side. And out of the hole gushed blood and water. What is it about the water? 
that maybe, maybe the water is thicker than blood. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for bringing us together with all of our conditions, named and unnamed, known and held in secret, and that through our own baptism you have washed us clean and made us well. Help us always know and remember that in Christ's name. Amen. Let us respond with the gifts of our lives and our labors. <clears throat>